The Bible reading for tonight comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. So feel free to follow along in your Bible or on the screen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ, gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Hello again, friends. Please do have that passage open in front of you. Uh, Ephesians is a good place to begin, but we'll also be flicking around the Bible, doing a bit of ferocious flicking. So if you are a flicker, then uh, you're going to love tonight. If not, just plant yourself in Ephesians and they'll be on the screen uh, behind me. But we are going to explore this to get this theme of together in growing Christ-like disciples. But before we do, I'm going to pray for us and for me. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it contains all truth, that it reveals to us who you are, it reveals to us your son, Jesus, and that the fact that you've blessed us with your Holy Spirit. I pray tonight that you speak powerfully through me, uh, through your word, for my brothers and sisters here and across the screen, please shape us more into lights of Christ and send us out into what you're calling us and making us into be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a question. And that question is, whose job is it to grow your faith? Whose job is it to grow your faith? Now, we all know as Christians, we're, we're blessed in the fact that we get to grow and become more like Christ. But, but whose job is that? Or, or put it a different way, whose responsibility is it? Whose responsibility is it to grow your faith? What comes to mind as you think? Maybe you think, it's your job. It's your job. It's my faith. It's my responsibility. It's my job to, to grow out your faith, uh, as in you. 
Maybe you think it's my job as the preacher. Oh, Matt, that, that's your job. You've got to grow me in faith. Or Andrew, whoever's preaching, you know, you're the one who's growing us in faith. Or is it your home group leader or other ministry leader? Is it a mentor? Is it like the academics and the lecturers who train the pastors or who write the books? Are they the ones who's ultimately responsible that we grow in faith? Is it God's job? Who's responsible? Now, in general, I think we can kind of boil it down to three categories, in a sense. So ourselves, like you, the individual, God, uh, or us, like the church, people in uh, Christians. Um, and I think the way we would answer that, even though it is, in a sense, it's a real combination of all those three things. But what we're going to emphasize probably depends on the culture that we've grown up in. Uh, depends because we've been influenced by that culture. Now, some cultures uh, across the world and within society are very, what we might call, collectivistic or community-orientated uh, people, as opposed to people who are quite individualistic. Now, there's a picture on the screen here, and it's a very um, general kind of image. It will be coming up in a moment. Uh, you can see there there's some countries that have a darker colour and then all the way to a lighter colour. The countries that have a darker colour are typically, and as general terms, more individualistic, more focused on me, I, the individual, compared to the ones who are in the lighter colour, a bit more community orientated. Now, of course, oh, and as you can see, Australia on there is quite dark, quite individualistic as a general rule. Now, of course, that's a huge generalisation, and I'm not bringing up to like kind of dissect what that means for our life, except to highlight that as a people, the culture that we live in, we're highly individualistic. We say things like, it's my life, it's my choices, like, it's my opinion. We have mantras like, you know, you do you. The individual is very highly valued amongst our society. Now, we're not going to dissect that idea except to say that we naturally, in a sense, apply that to ourselves. Apply that to church life. Apply that to what it means for us to grow in Christian faith. Because it, when it comes to who's responsible for our faith to grow, we kind of naturally want to say, well, it's me. I'm responsible. Sure, others contribute, um, but really it's a thing between me and God. That's kind of our natural position to be in, perhaps. And that's what I want to kind of press into tonight and explore with us together. Now, not to downplay that, not to say that we don't have personal responsibility, because we certainly do, and certainly to not to say God doesn't have responsibility, because he ultimately is the one that, that grows us. But today we want to explore how it is that we contribute and indeed have an unwavering commitment and responsibility to one another, a responsibility to grow each other as Christ-like disciples. And so we're going to explore why and how we are together in growing Christ-like disciples. Why and how? Before doing that, though, it's probably important that we kind of unpack what a disciple is. What even, what even is a disciple? It's very much kind of a Christianese word. It's a bit more ancient. We still use it in modern day, but it, it reflects the idea of someone who is a follower. A disciple is someone who follows someone else, who, who follows in, and learns in the ways of someone else. In like a modern term, we might say an apprentice. So if you're like uh, in carpentry, an electrician or plumber or whatever, you begin as an apprentice and you have the tradesmen who you work under, they're like your master and they, they train you, they teach you, they show you the way. That's an apprentice. 
That's very much what a uh, disciple of Jesus is. It's like an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is a person who has Jesus as their Lord, follows in his teaching, follows in his way. And one of the real central and foundational things that Jesus modeled throughout uh, his life that we see in the Gospels, and then as he taught and commanded, was his final words in the Gospel of Matthew, what we might commonly know as the Great Commission. And it says this in Matthew 28, uh, starting from verse 18. So at this point, Jesus, he's, he's done his life here on earth, and he's died, he's rose again, he's just about to ascend. These are his final words to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Go and make disciples. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This idea of going and making disciples is central to what we do as disciples of Jesus. It doesn't impact our identity as being in Christ. It is the expression of our identity. We're in Christ, we're a child of God, and a primary function of that is we go and make disciples. Now, in Jesus' language here, he's kind of broken up making disciples into two categories. Baptize them and then teach them to obey. That idea of baptizing is another way of saying help bring people to faith, evangelize, share the gospel, promote the gospel, help people to understand who Jesus is, and then baptize them, bring them into God's family. And then the second part is to teach them, to help them to grow in their faith, teach them to follow in the teachings and the ways of Jesus. And the effect of that is that then a disciple will then go and make disciples and then make disciples. Uh, and that just continues on. Because Christians are disciples who make disciples. We're always in the business of trying to bring people to faith and then seeing them grow in faith. And we all contribute in our different and unique ways, uh, but that is who we are. And as you think of what a disciple is, you think about yourself as a disciple, is it how you think of yourself? Uh, are you a disciple who is contributing to making other disciples? How is it that you are contributing to that process? Now, in those two ways, uh, bringing people to faith and then growing, two weeks ago, Ange preached on, uh, the title was Together in Promoting the Gospel, very much centered on bringing people to faith. And if you want to explore, be inspired again, what that looks like, I encourage you to look at that sermon from two weeks ago. But tonight, we're focusing on the second part, the growing aspect, teaching them to obey, growing, in, uh, growing as a disciple. Now, what are we growing in? What are we seeking to grow in? As the title suggests, we're growing as Christ-like disciples. We're seeking to become like Jesus. You know the saying or the acronym WWJD? What would Jesus do? A couple of nods. I know you know. You used to hang it around your neck. You guys love it. It's a helpful saying. It's very good. Uh, but a slightly more helpful thing to say is what would Jesus do if he were you? What would Jesus do if he were you? So with the experience, with the wisdom, with the gifts, how would Jesus respond in the scenario that you were in? How would he relate to others? How would he bring glory to God in your situation? That is the character of being Christ-like. Now in the Bible, we don't actually find the word Christ-like. It doesn't really appear. The concept is kind of everywhere, but the actual word is not. A bit like Trinity. If you're familiar with the Bible, God being three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, 
we give it the word Trinity. It's not there, uh, but to help us understand, we say Trinity. It's the same with Christ-likeness. But I want to show you a couple of ways or, or places in the Bible where that becomes really clear uh, what that looks like. And the first one is that we walk in step with the Spirit. I want to read to you something from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, this is one of Paul's letters. And I'll read to you uh, from verse 16. He's been talking about Jesus and freedom that we have in Christ, all this kind of thing. And he says this from verse 16. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, which is like our, our sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another so that you do not do whatever you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We can see there's very much two ways to live in, this, in that kind of way. You're either walking in that fleshly way or according to your sinful desires or living according to the Spirit, walking in step with Him. And because the Holy Spirit is perfectly united with Christ, to walk in step with the Spirit is to walk in the likeness of Christ. Paul, he goes on to say in the next couple of verses some examples of what it looks like to live um, not according to the Spirit, but according to the flesh. And then he goes on to say this in verse 22, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. And you might know this one, it's very familiar to us. But the fruit of the Spirit, so to walk in Christ's likeness, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Just like an apple tree will produce apples, a Christian, one who is walking in step with the Spirit, will produce Christ-likeness, will grow into what it looks like uh, to follow in His way. And those kind of those fruits there, they're, they're a wonderful overview. They're not exhaustive of what it looks like to be Christ-like, uh, but wonderful um, overall picture. And did you notice there's no particular circumstance that this is tied to? It's not just when you come to church. It's not just the sacred space. It's not just the secular space. It's in all of our life, in all aspects, in all circumstances that we find ourselves in. We're seeking to be Christ-like, to walk in step with the Spirit. However, we know we don't do this all the time, do we? We're not always working, walking perfectly in step with the Spirit. We need to grow. We need to mature. It's a bit like um, a three-legged race. You know when you're a bit younger and, and you do a three-legged race, you're tied up next to someone and you, you, know, you, you get going and then you get faster and then you fall over a little bit, you get back up again. You're learning to walk in step with one another. Now, you, you're still united to one another, but it's a bit clunky. Um, but the more you do it, the more you practice, the more you walk in step with one another, the closer you'll grow the cl uh, and the better you'll go about doing the race. It's a, similar to our, what it means to walk in step with the Spirit, except that He's always perfect. He's never the one falling down. He's always the one guiding us uh, into the perfect way of being Christ-like. We are in Christ and secure from the start, but we are blessed to be able to grow in the likeness of Christ. And that brings us to the next verse I want to show you, which is that we grow to maturity. And Paul, he goes on, when you look in uh, Colossians chapter 1, and he, gives, he says uh, this, again talking about Jesus, he goes on to say, 
He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is a picture of Paul like laboring, strenuous, like going about it in a really toilsome kind of manner, seeking to present people fully mature, to grow them in faith. He wants to be part of seeing them grow. He knows that they're in Christ, they're secure. He rejoices in that fact, but he's like, man, I want to see you come to flourish in your life, to chase after, to become like your Lord. And I personally, I really do love this verse. In the back end of college, my very final assignment, what they call the capstone, I looked at this concept of, of maturity through the letters of Paul. Uh, and you see that, that here. And this particular verse just stood out so much as a bit of like the, the purpose and mission statement for Paul's ministry in his life. Amongst like he wants to share the gospel with everybody as much as he possibly can and then see them come to know Jesus and then grow in the faith. So at the end, they're presented fully mature in Christ. That is what he's laboring towards. That's what is uh, his mission statement. And I did that just before or just as I finished college and then stepped into this role. And so I'm hoping, I want that to be part of what my mission is, to see us grow, uh, to see us become mature in Christ. However, for Paul and for the rest of the New Testament writers, growing in Christ-likeness is not just a solo task. It's not just a task for the pastor or just for, a, for an individual. Because Christians, us, we are part of, of a discipleship community. Like it is a team effort. It's a team effort to contribute to one another's growth. I want to give you uh, two examples of what that looks like, this kind of discipleship. Because as you just step two chapters along in Colossians, Paul takes the focus off himself and then into the context of the church. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly, and the you there is plural, as you. Use, if we had that in English. Use, teach, and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. This command to teach, to, to encourage, to admonish one another, it's not just a self-talk thing. It's not just, okay, build yourself up. It's a community thing. It's directed towards others to see them be builded up. It's a thing that we do for one another. And if it seems, if we're not doing that, then we're going to be hampering the growth of our brothers and sisters. And then as another writer goes on in Hebrews, kind of the classic verse which we call through about meeting together in chapter 10, verse 24, 25. He says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. It's a community thing. To grow in the likeness of Christ, to, to walk in step with the Spirit, which is what it is talking about and showing love and good deeds. That's something that we do together. And that's not something that just come about as a result of COVID. We've come back from COVID and go, wow, we need to do this together. This is something that the church has been doing for the last 2,000 years. Transformation into the likeness of Christ is the aim and the responsibility of the church, of us the people. There can be no such thing as solo discipleship. There's no such thing as solo discipleship. It's like a, a wet fire or a flying submarine. 
It's just not a thing. There's no such thing as solo discipleship. It's not just a solo effort, do it yourself. It's not a self-help thing. Discipleship in its very nature happens in community. So friends, we need to invest in one another. We need to give and we also need to receive. Be engaged and intentional to seek others grow and also to be humble and gracious enough to let others invest in us. Because we are together in growing Christ-like disciples. Disciples like you. Disciple like the person sitting next to you. Across the room, someone who hasn't come yet. We are seeking, or who isn't here in the room. We are seeking to grow one another. We're seeking to cultivate that kind of community. And then that brings us to Ephesians. And if you do have Ephesians open with you, we will plant ourselves here. Because in Ephesians, it gives us this beautiful picture of what that community looks like. Because if you know anything about the letter to the Ephesians, it's very much a letter of two halves. The first half, chapters 1 through to 3, is very much about the doctrine of identity, who we are, who we are made to be in Christ, and God's grand and wise, mysterious plan uh, to build the church, to create the church. Very much centered on doctrine, chapters 1 through to 3. And then chapters 4 through to 6 is very much the ethics, what it looks like to go and live that out together as the church. And Paul is so focused on the fact that it is a, a together, a community thing. And we see this kind of, we've painted out in the first verse there of chapter 4. He says, in light of all that, in light of the identity which you have, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now we won't do a deep dive in this passage, um, but I want to draw out how it does relate to us growing as a community. And Paul gives a wonderful principle here. As Connor read it before, I'm not sure what kind of stuck out to you, but Paul is giving the principle what it looks like for churches to grow or for individuals to grow. And the principle is that there is unity, unity amongst the church, unity in ministry for maturity. Unity in ministry for maturity. We'll look at each of those three elements. And the first one is unity. Now, we've discussed this a lot in this Together series, so we won't labor the point here. But as you look at the first, well, chapter, verses 2 through to 6, it just screams out that, that we are one. We are unified people in Christ with one another. If there's like kind of a catch fry of the church, is that we are God's, we are the church, we are united. That's kind of our trademark. God's and we're unified. Amongst the effort and the mess and the heartache of what it means to be in community with one another. We seek to be united and to bring glory to God. But then that extends to the second thing, which is ministry. The way we serve one another. If you glaze your eyes, glaze your eyes, gaze, good grief, gaze your eyes over verses 7 through to 8, we see here that Christ is spoken about giving gifts, giving gifts to his people. Then he gives some particular things that some individuals are equipped, are given to do, which is in verse 11 to 12. And I'll read this. And says, And Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The whole premise of the church thing is that it is a team game. 
those five roles there, as it said, their purpose is to equip the people, to equip the church. Like you take this moment, this exact moment right now. I'm functioning in the pastor-teacher role. But amongst trying to just to teach and be a pastor, the goal is to equip us, to equip us to then go and do the ministry, to do what God has called us to do. That's its purpose. And then we then go out and do it together. Like take, for example, an F1 team. I know some of you have really got into uh, Drive to Survive, into the F1s of recent time, maybe beforehand. But take, for example, a pit crew. I don't know if you can see the numbers there, but in that picture, there is 21 people that are contributing to some changing of tyres and putting in a fuel. And outside of them, there's heaps and heaps of other people that are contributing to this one car flying around a track. They all have different roles, all have a unique role, all have something that they're doing specifically in order to see that car fly around the track as fast as it could. United in their purpose, but very diverse in the thing that they do. And that's what we are doing as a church. We are a team. We have different roles and able to do different things, but we are active participants with one another. We are not just consumers. Each contributing something unique in order for, to see others flourish, to see God be unified, that God be glorified, to reach our goal. We use who we are and we use what we have in order to serve others. And then the point that Paul then goes to is amongst all that is maturity. And that brings us to the third element, which is that people grow in maturity. So in light of what we just said about ministry, I want to read verses 16 through the end. He says, All those things about equipping for service until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. We will become the mature body in him who is the head, that is Christ. In him the whole body is joined together uh, with all its supporting ligaments, and grows and builds itself up in love, as each one does its part. As we strive for unity, as we contribute in ministry, we want to see each other mature. We want to see each other grow into likeness of Christ, because as we're in Christ's likeness, then we go and we do all the wonderful and good and glorious things which Christ would do if he were us, that he did when he was on earth, that he's calling us towards. We use whatever gifts we have to contribute, but we are seeking one another to become mature, to seeking one another to grow. When a church is unified, when it's doing its ministry, we will mature and grow. And what this all means for us is it naturally asks, well, who are we investing in? Who are we seeking to grow? Because each of us, we need to do our bit in order to contribute to the growth of Christ-like disciples. It's not just about us fixing one another. We're not trying to fix one another in judgment. We're trying to bring people to Christ. We're trying to teach them, encourage them, come beside them in love, build them up, admonish them when required in order to grow, in order to become into the likeness of Christ. 
Now, obviously, there's all the formal ministries that we do, like the worship team are doing that, and youth ministry, children's ministry, the Connect team, all these different ministries that we do, which is wonderful in order to see that happen. But there's also a bit more of the informal things that we do. Because in this passage, Paul is very much talking about just our life, the things that we do as the church in our just conversation. And one of the primary examples that we do this is in home groups. Home groups are a fantastic place for us to be growing Christ-like disciples. There's lots of different good, wonderful, important purposes of home group. But one of them is that we grow, that we grow in our knowledge and depth of insight of who God is and therefore in Christ-like character. However, I notice within myself uh, and in people that I've been in home group with that sometimes we can uh, create communities where we focus just on ourselves in the presence of others. Where we come amongst one another, we chat, we do all the good things, but it's just focusing on ourselves in the presence of one another. Like going shopping with everyone to just pick out what we can or going to the gym. You know, we say hello to people, we lift our own weights, it's just a personal endeavor. That's not what home group is about. Sure, we grow, we individually do grow, but the heart of it is to see the other people grow. And then they're seeking you to grow. It's very much a community thing. So please, be intentional about what you can give as well as what you can receive. Be intentional about how you can contribute to others' growth. The other thing is like one-to-one relationships, partnerships, uh, discipleship, like a mentor or a coach or someone who's a peer-to-peer, someone who you walk beside in order to invest in them. I definitely know for myself, there is no way I'd be standing in this position if it wasn't for specific people that invested in me. People who have come beside me, prayed with me, met up with me on a regular basis for years. I say that in, in confidence. So please, let me encourage you. Who can you invest in? Who can you walk beside, both so you can grow and that they can grow? In addition to that, there's all the informal and the social things that we do with one another. It's the going out to supper. It's the coffee before church. It's the hospitality in your home. It's going out for dinner. It's just the chats after the service. It's when you are just with one another in whatever capacity. In those moments too, and perhaps especially, we have an incredible opportunity to invest in one another. We don't just wait for the formal occasion. So please be asking one another, like, how are you going in your walk? What's going on for you in your faith? What's, how are you seeing God at work in your life? Now, where are you struggling? What's been hard? Walking beside one another, the joys and the frustrations. And just let our conversation just be one which is building one another up, encouraging one another. It will become a natural and normal part of who we are. Because, friends, we are together. We are a united group of people seeking to grow Christ-like disciples. Disciples like you, disciples like me. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple who is going out to make disciples. And we have a responsibility to grow one another, to invest in one another's life. And if someone is growing or someone isn't growing, yes, there's a personal responsibility on them, but that also reflects on us. That reflects on the church, who we are as a community, because that is how God has set us up. That is how Christ laid out the church, all different gifts, all different abilities in order to build one another up into the likeness of him. 
And then amongst all that, God has blessed us with the Holy Spirit because he is the one who ultimately brings us into the likeness of Christ. He ensures the growth happens. We labor, we toil, we encourage, we admonish one another. But God is the one who brings the growth. And it is an incredible blessing that he allows us to partner with him as we seek to grow Christ-like disciples. And for that to happen, we certainly need to pray. So let me pray for, for all of us. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you so much that we are your children, that you've brought us into your family from darkness into light, and that you see us and you say that, you are loved, that we are loved and secure, but you also call us to something more. You call us into that flourishing life to be like Christ, and we so long for the day where Christ will return, and we are perfectly in his image, and we are given that new body and transformed perfectly into his likeness. We long for that day. But in this time, you've set us up as the church to partner with you in growing one another. Please give us the boldness and incredible grace, uh, incredible love and wisdom uh, to be together in growing Christ-like disciples. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As we come to this last song, I might draw from our um, Bible passage this evening. Uh, from verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the, call, of the calling you have received. And what is that calling? Well, Matt reminded us it can be pretty much summed up in Matthew 28, which says, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's split into that, you know, uh, that element of going out, but also the fellowship component. And I love singing this next song at the end of our services because it always pumps me up to go home and do that. Um, but the song isn't called Send Us Home. <laughs> the song is called Send Us Out. And so I wanted to challenge you to have that mindset as you think about what it means for us to be disciples to each other, what it means for us to live in fellowship. Let's stand and sing.